an attack that can de-anonymize users on any browser. Amazon freely giving away ring footage, tons of political news from all around the world, some really big tour updates, and much more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 95, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past week. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And I'm Henry from TechLore. You always just sound so deadpan. I've had multiple people point that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people, no, I'm good. Don't. People are always worried about me. I just don't know how to say I am Henry from TechLore. This week, as always, we want to remind you the best way to support us is through Patreon and Monero. Patreon is a way to donate in fiat currency. It's recurring. It gets you all kinds of little perks like show notes and access to an ad-free feed. So you wouldn't be listening to this right now if you were on Patreon. And they have also just enabled Patreon annual plans at a 10% discount. So if you know you want to support us long term and you also want to save a little bit of money in the process, you can go ahead and sign up for a one year plan and get it 10% off. And then, of course, like I said, Monero, which is a privacy coin, untraceable as far as we know. I mean, the IRS has like a quarter million dollar bounty for anyone who can crack it. So that speaks volumes to me personally. We see all the donations we get. We don't know who you are, but we see them and we appreciate them very, very much. Thank you guys for donating. A quick personal note. My audio was very bad last week. Thank you guys for noticing. I definitely didn't notice, even though I've been doing sound for over 15 years. I do have a new mic. It's a Rode NTG1, for those who care. And I'm still kind of figuring it out. I've never had a shotgun mic before, so I'm sorry for the audio last week. My gain was too high. Hopefully this week's going to be a little bit better and going forward. So please be patient. All right, with that, let's launch into our highlight story. We're going to start off with a new attack that can unmask anonymous users on any major browser. So the attack works by analyzing, quote, subtle features of a potential target's browser activity to determine if you are logged into other accounts like YouTube, Dropbox, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, etc. It works on every major browser, including the Tor browser, and it can be used to create an identifiable point where they can then track you across the web. Researchers say that the attack is actually relatively simple to carry out, and they have released an extension that will protect against it for Chrome and Firefox, but it may impact performance. In the meantime, vendors are working on fixes and trying to figure out how to mitigate this, but a true comprehensive fix would need to go all the way down to the microchip level. So unfortunately, we may not see a a total fix for this anytime in the near future, but um, hopefully we will see some protections mitigations roll out here soon. What's interesting, I didn't read too much into this one, but I'm curious to hear, it is able to determine if you're logged into other accounts, and like generally we and a lot of people recommend don't log into accounts on Tor. So I'm wondering if it is a cross-browser issue where it can tell that like, oh, Firefox separate from Tor is logged into these accounts. I don't. It doesn't sound like it is though, it's all just within the same browser. So maybe the, the advice of like separating browsers is still very, very good. I think you're right, because that was a literal quote, subtle features of a potential target's browser activity. And it, 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 yeah, at least the way it was worded, it made it sound like it was all within the same browser. So like if I log into YouTube and then open a new tab and go to this um, malicious website, uh, that was a part I left out that I should have added. It works by they have to set up a malicious website and like get you from there. So that applies too, is to be careful the websites you visit as always. That's a that's an important detail right there. That, yes, that we should have. so I'm glad that came up. <laughs> Completely forgot to add that. Um, cool. We're not yeah, trying so to I, scare I think all of you. Right. <laughs> yeah, at this point in time, I don't think there's any evidence that this has been used in the wild, although, you know, now it's out there, so it might be. So as always, be careful the links you click. Um, we recommend don't save your browser history. Don't 
stay logged into things, but yeah. And just separate browser usage too. Like use Tor for things that need to be anonymized, have a personal browser for your accounts, and go from there. The more compartmentalization, the better. But that's just always good advice for everything. All right, data breaches. Mangatoon Data Breach exposes data from 23 million accounts. This is a comic reading platform, including Android and iOS applications, and it resulted from an unsecured Elasticsearch database. Ah, that's a weird way of saying AWS. No, normally it's <laughs> AWS buckets, so. <laughs> um, so it's an Elasticsearch database. The password was password. So there you go, if that um, speaks volumes to Mangatoon's security approach to things. Um, this took place in May, and it exposed names, email addresses, genders, social media account identities, authentication tokens from social logins, and salted MD5 password hashes. And they were using MD5. So the company did not respond to Troy Hunt, who's the person who discovered this. The company did change the password, so they did the bare minimum, but, but they never notified customers. So not good. Uh, just a quick correction. Someone else discovered it, but yeah, they turned it over to Have I Been Pwned, and Troy Hunt tried to reach out to the company, and they never responded. So Didn't respond to the you. original hacker either. Yeah, that's, um, that's a green flag. <laughs> our next story comes from Virginia, where more than 4,000 individuals' medical data was left exposed for 16 years. This came from the Virginia Commonwealth University Health System. Data belonged to transplant donors and recipients and included names, social security numbers, lab results, medical record numbers, and or date of birth. At this time, there's no evidence of like illicit access or misuse, but also it was wide open on the web for 16 years, so definitely cannot rule it out. Just a reminder that for some reason HIPAA is like the only privacy regulation we have on a federal level as of right now. So people care about health privacy, but when their medical data is exposed in this way, we just don't see the same reaction for some reason. But this exposes a lot about people's personal health, so it's a big deal. Up next, Elden Ring, gaming giant Bandai Namco, I'm not a gamer, so I apologize in advance, says hackers may have stolen customer data. This happened July 3rd, and it affected the toys and hobby business in Asian regions, excluding Japan. Alpha V Ransomware Group has threatened to leak the data soon, and no further details on what data was stolen or how many people were affected. So this is still unfolding, and maybe next week we'll have some updates. And our last data breach is just an update. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about OpenSea, which is like an NFT trading platform, and they had customer email addresses stolen by a rogue employee who worked at customer.io, which if I remember correctly, was like the third party email marketing service that OpenSea used. They've been investigating this, of course, and it turns out the rogue employee didn't just target OpenSea. There were five other customers of customer.io who used that service that the employee targeted them as well. So this is actually worse than originally thought. And yeah, I guess just really highlights how much trust you're placing in those third-party uh, services and rogue employees and all that stuff. With that, we will move into companies. And we're going to start off with an interesting decision from Google. It says, Google Play hides app permissions in favor of developer-written descriptions. So a while ago, I think it was actually only a few months ago, Google announced that they were planning to display app permission information in the Play Store or more permission information. It was in response to Apple's privacy labels things, and they called it data safety. The deadline to comply with this is July 20th, which I think is next week. The feature is starting to roll out, and it seems to be replacing the old system. So originally, what Google was already doing was Google would automatically scan the app's functionality and then report what permissions the app needed. This new system seems to be like an honor system where the developer just says what permissions are needed. The article notes that Google already has a serious problem with enforcing their policies in the Play Store. And I also know we covered a story in the past when Apple came out with the privacy labels 
about how they were having a similar problem where re uh, reporters found that many apps, a significant number of apps, were lying about the privacy labels and what data was collected. So it appears Google did not learn anything from Apple's mistakes, and we're, just, we're putting people on an honor system. I'm sure we all know how well that works. Yeah, that's too bad. Google Play just generally seems to have more issues than the iOS App Store. So I guess that's just a continuation of that. To continue the big tech news stories, Amazon has admitted to giving ring camera footage to police without a warrant or consent. This was disclosed after questioning from Senator Ed Markey. This has happened 11 times this year so far. The article goes on to discuss Amazon's increasingly cozy friendship with American law enforcement, their broad definition of police, quote, emergencies, and how Ring declined to disclose details of the 11 incidents in question. Um, Matthew Gar... Gar <laughs> Help me out. Help me out. <laughs> I, I got nothing, man. Gariglia. Gariglia. Matthew Gariglia of the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, reminds Ring users that enabling end-to-end -end encryption means Amazon can't hand over data without contacting the owner first. So that is what you should be doing. And I believe someone else retweeted what the emergency thing looked like and how it was just there like you can sign into your amazon account to request footage or you just do an emergency request and i don't think it requested much it was the general energy that they were uh speaking on so yeah not good the concerning thing to me about this is your neighbor can have this all of you people out there who just say don't get a modern car just drive an old 80s car you'll be fine just don't get it that's not a solution for everything. And this is one of those situations where the people around you impact your privacy directly because all your neighbors can have Amazon rings and that's still an invasion of privacy for you. And so this is a much bigger issue than just you. And we need to find out how to address this on like a social level. Also, you should know how to pronounce Matthew's name because I'm pretty sure we did that uh, live stream, the Metroid thing. And I think he was one of the round table people. Oh, we did. Darn it, man. <laughs> You've been on the live stream with this guy and I didn't. Uh... I recognize the name. <laughs> you should keep that in. That's funny. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, I will. Yeah, that's funny. All right, our next story comes from Microsoft. There's a few different pieces to this. So the main piece, Microsoft has reversed its reversal on blocking Office macros by default. So we reported a few weeks back how Microsoft said they were going to start blocking Office macros that connected to the internet by default which is great because that is a hugely abused vector for malware. Since then, I don't think we reported on this part, but since then they, without announcing it, very quietly decided they were gonna roll back that change after get some user feedback, which they didn't say what it was or who it came from. And when the security community spoke up and was like, bro, no, this is a great idea. Then they said, okay, okay, so we're still gonna roll it out, but we wanna make sure that we're like doing it the right way. And we're gonna make some additional quote, changes to enhance usability. So that's kind of that story. It's still going to be rolled out, but it's going to take a little longer. In the meantime, we are including an article from Bleeping Computer on how to block macros yourself until they roll that out. So if you are like forced to use Office for work or something like that, I highly recommend you go ahead and do this. And then there's also a, uh, this is semi-related, which is why I'm throwing it in here. There's a research story about how Microsoft found an exploit that can be used on Mac and it allows the malware to escape the sandboxing on Mac. And it uses macros, which is why we need to block macros by default. Apple fixed this in May. It, it was with Big Sur 11.6.6. So make sure you're current and updated. You know what else? Microsoft and other companies hurry to roll out security updates. 
So July 2022 patch Tuesday fixes exploited zero days and 84 flaws, which includes 52 escalation of privilege vulnerabilities, one of which was a zero day, four security feature bypasses, 12 RCEs, 11 information disclosures, and five denial service attacks. Adobe, Cisco, Google, Intel, SAP, and VMware also released several security updates for some of their products. Check the article for more details. And again, we really recommend automatic updates for most people, or at the very least, frequently updating your software or more specifically updating security updates. It's nice to see now like things like iOS and macOS might be getting security patches separate from feature updates. So that's cool. Our next story, PayPal phishing kit added to hacked WordPress sites for full ID theft. So this is a newly discovered piece of malware in the wild that attempts to steal government ID documents, photos, and other information. They basically compromise WordPress websites, usually via brute forcing and credential stuffing. You know, they try all the common passwords and stuff. And then if they get in, they embed this uh, phishing kit, which because of the way they're going about this, that makes it hard to detect. Detect It's not like a normal attack or anything like that. And it, I mean, it's your basic phishing kit. It mimics a PayPal login page. This thing asks for card data, PIN, address, social security number, mother's maiden name, and then it asks you to upload ID documents to prove your identity, which I feel like that would be a huge red flag. Like no PayPal pay checkout page has ever asked me for all that information before. I guess the best defense against this one is password managers, because you know, if you have like a plugin, like a Bitwarden or KeyPass or whatever, and you are not on the right page that you've entered into there, it's not gonna pop up with that auto login feature. Just be aware, you know, check the links and. And our last story for companies this week is from Experian. You have some explaining to do. That's the headline. So this is an unsettling story about how two people got locked out of their Experian accounts because the attacker simply made a new account posing as them. So for those who don't know, when you open an Experian account, which is a credit bureau here in the US, maybe to freeze your credit, which everyone should do, they pretty much just ask for your information. And that's how you create your account. They'll ask for an email, but as long as you have um, things that are related to you, maybe like where you live, a previous phone number, maybe um, any credit history, like they'll ask you questions about yourself to create the account. So as long as someone else is able to replicate that information, they can just create a new account with a different email and then unfreeze your credits and do whatever they wanted. That guy paid for the Experian credit monitoring so that it would send him SMS to FA when logging into a new device. And um, it sounds like that still didn't protect him. Well, that was after the fact. So yeah, one of the guys, um, like you said, like somebody made a new account, unfroze his credit, even opened like a Chase bank account, which he got closed out. And then he was like, yeah, I, I guess I'll pay for this credit monitoring where they'll send me a 2FA code and hopefully that'll help. <laughs> That's really messed up. Oh, yeah, man. that you got to pay for like any remote level of security. Stupid. Yeah, and, and it's just SMS too. Well, it's also insane that you can even do this. Like Krebs on security, they tried to like, they checked the other like Equifax and TransUnion and you can't do that. If you try to sign up, it'll be like, oh, you already have an account. Only Experian <laughs> is just like, yeah, sure. Why not, bro? Oh man. It's insane. Ugh, that's so bad. I hate these credit bureaus so much <laughs> for, for so many Same. different reasons. Like secur security aside, but... Equifax is still probably one of the worst data breaches ever. And people are still dealing with that. And then you have Experian going through this kind of nonsense. And now we're gonna go over to the research for the week. And we're gonna start, technically our highlight story was our first research article. So we're gonna move right into the second one, which is a new working speculative execution attack sends Intel and AMD scrambling. It's called Retbleed because it exploits Retpoline. Um, this was introduced in 2018 to mitigate other speculative attacks. The attack has 98% accuracy and is actually more effective on AMD. 
as it's 28 minutes on Intel and six on AMD to execute. So Intel and AMD have advised customers on mitigations that can reduce overhead by as much as 28%. It seems to primarily affect Linux and is not being actively exploited yet as far as anyone can tell. So we'll be following this. This is not something you can do much about, but it's a good reminder, Linux isn't foolproof and has valid uh, shortcomings. All right, our next story says AI-enabled tech allows troops to see through walls. This is one of those really interesting, like, double-edged technologies. So this is the uh, the Zaver 1000, which was developed by Israel's Camaro Tech, and it uses millimeter wave radar to, quote-unquote, see through objects like fog, rain, and smoke, and now walls. An example of how this is double-edged, it's also used in self-driving cars, you know, to see through fog and rain and smoke and stuff like that this latest uh, model they've released. So normally it's used to detect like tanks and big stuff. It can detect small objects like human, children, animals, and even like individual body parts, positioning, sitting or standing, for example. And it can differentiate the number of people in the room. It can determine the room's general layout, like dimensions and infrastructure. And needless to say, AI is involved in a lot of this, interpreting the data that it's getting back and what it means. So like I said, it's a double-edged thing because it's really interesting. They point out this technology could be used to uh, for example, a, a paramedic arriving at a scene, if they can see through the building and they know somebody's lying on the ground, things like that. But needless to say, this could also be used for very invasive tracking and stuff like that. Barracuda report, almost everyone faced an industrial attack in the last year. 94% of respondents have experienced some form of attack on their industrial IoT or operational tech systems during the last 12 months. This survey included 800 senior IT and security officers responsible for these industrial systems. So this impacts almost everyone. Um, this is a reminder how serious and prevalent all of this stuff is. Apparently Nathan knows a guy at a music shop who said they got attacked thousands of times per day, so. Yeah, there's a, a very popular online music retail store. I'm not gonna name which one, but I guarantee you if you buy musical instruments and stuff, you probably use them or heard of them at least. And uh, yeah, we were just chatting one time and this is when I got into privacy and I changed like all my emails and everything. And he just reached out to like, you did that, right? You didn't get hacked. And we were talking about security. And he said, yeah, was chatting with the IT guys one time and we get hit literally thousands of times every single day. And I mean, granted, most of it's probably, you know, script kitty, easy to repel crap. But yeah, man, like attacks are real. Our next story is a real quick one. It says new UEFI firmware flaws impact over 70 Lenovo laptop models. There are three buffer overflow vulnerabilities that could enable hijacking the startup routine of Windows installations. I'm not sure if they mean like installing fresh Windows or just like Windows devices. Uh, either way, not good. If you are a Lenovo user, check the article. They have a full list of models that are affected and uh, instructions on what to do. It looks like just updating to the latest firmware is what you need to do, but they have all those instructions. And our final research article for the week, this is an update to the recent mega security issues. Mega is the cloud provider, and they were able to essentially break the end-to-end -end encryption of mega. And so this is an update to that in crypto analyzing mega in six queries. Back then, the mega vulnerability required 512 logins to bypass. Now it's just six. So they were able to pretty much take that research and do more advanced things with it. So this is a reminder to update because Mega has actually fixed this in all their latest apps and all of that kind of stuff. So update your software, people. It's important. With that, we will move into politics. We got a lot of political stories from all around the world this week. So bear with us. We're going to start off in the U.S. where a defense firm said the U.S. spies backed its bid for Pegasus spyware maker. 
So we talked in the past about an American defense contractor called L3 Harris, Laharis, I don't know. They expressed interest in buying the NSO group, and of course with that would come the Pegasus spyware, which this Pegasus spyware was blacklisted by the US federal government, so it would require government approval. This article claims that, rumor has it from people in the know, that the intelligence community was incredibly in favor of this, uh, this acquisition. I know that's really hard to believe, totally doesn't sound legit. However, talks have since fallen apart. After this story originally went public and like everybody found out about this potential acquisition, apparently that scared off a lot of the people involved and the federal government, at least publicly, claimed to be outraged and you know not in favor of this and blah, blah, blah. So it looks like this deal may have fallen apart, but if we hear anything more, we will let you guys know. Just some context to L3 Harris is like a major surveillance company. Gorgon Stare, which is like a spy plane camera thing, was pretty much like L3 Harris was one of the people developing that and they're one of the people who utilize that kind of technology. And so so L3 Harris is like very in bed with lots of military style surveillance that's used domestically as well. The EFF and ACLU have filed an amicus brief objecting to warrantless, suspicionless electronic device searches at the border. The legality of warrantless electronic searches at the U.S. border is currently unclear. Some courts have ruled against it, others in favor. Essentially, if you're crossing the U.S. border, they are, as of right now, allowed to ask you. I don't know if they're allowed to ask U.S. citizens, but I know for a fact if you're not a U.S. citizen, they can ask to pretty much just take your devices, search them, and do whatever they want with them. But they're zeroing in on this recent case of a person. They claim the FBI intentionally waited until he was traveling internationally to search his devices without a warrant. They have filed an amicus brief, basically an expert legal opinion in support of him and are pushing to require warrants for these kinds of searches in the future. So this is something very much unfolding. This is like step zero and a half of this whole journey. And so make sure to stay subscribed and I'm sure we'll have updates to this down the road. Our next story is a piece of good news. The FTC has threatened to crack down on sites that claim your data is anonymized when it's not. The acting associate director of the FTC's privacy division, her name is Kristen Cohen, she has expressed the opinion that falsely claiming data is anonymized when it's not counts as a deceptive trade practice, and she is willing to go after websites who falsely make this claim. This mainly focuses on location data because that's the one that can both easily be de-anonymized. This is the really interesting part. I'm sure a lot of you, when you heard this, were just kind of like, hey, whatever. They specifically acknowledge that anonymized data can often be de-anonymized and re-identified. So this potentially opens the door. If they're serious about cracking down on these sites and going after them, we could see a lot of sites start getting hit with this. And we might start to see some change in location data collection. Maybe. Too early to tell. I don't claim to be a psychic, but... They've definitely opened the door in a lot of good ways to, to make some serious change here. We'll just see if they follow up on it. I agree. This is all really good. And it's worth mentioning, like, almost every major, even the big tech companies, also use this word anonymized data, too. So this is something that will quite literally impact so many websites out there. And so I'm a little bit critical of it because, like, there's no way these big tech companies are going to allow a U.S. agency to actually control them in any meaningful way in my opinion, but this is good. I'm glad the discussion's happening. Another victory, another court protects the right to record the police. The title says it all. The 10th Circuit Court has ruled that private citizens have a First Amendment protected right to film police in public for the purposes of transparency. It is protected as free speech. Good win. 
glad we're doing the bare minimum here. San Francisco police want real-time access to private surveillance cameras. This is another title kind of says it all. This vote may happen as early as Monday, July 18th. So if you're one of those people who listens like the first day this comes out or like the day after it comes out, you don't have a lot of time to voice your opinion, but you should if you live in the San Francisco area. So in 2019, a law was passed that limited police access to surveillance, especially without warrants. They really drilled down on that one. And from what I can tell, this proposal is just completely reversing on that. And it's completely riding on a recent crime wave. There's been a crime rave. And of course, every time there's a spike in crime, police always claim that they need more funding, more tools, more everything. Currently, police can request archive data or they can access live streams if, quote, imminent danger of death or serious physical injury is involved. If passed, this proposal would still require the Board of Supervisors approval before it becomes law, but it is incredibly vaguely worded. Like they can literally, I think it literally says they can access the live stream for uh, ongoing felony or misdemeanor investigations, which is just literally anything. Okay, so this next story comes from Canada, where Canada is one of two countries participating in a World Economic Forum travel digital ID pilot program. So this is called the Known Traveler Digital Identity or KTDI. And it is an initiative that, quote, brings together a global consortium of individuals, governments, authorities, and the travel industry to enhance security in world travel. The first global collaboration of its kind, KTDI, enables more secure and more seamless travel that benefits both travelers and travel industry. It was conceptually founded by a, quote, multi-stakeholder working group launched in 2015, which included governments, industry, and international organizations, unquote. That many big hands in the pie makes me really, really nervous when it comes to data. And historically, all of these, like, travel improvement, uh, traveler identity programs are just, they want ridiculous amounts of data that they hold in a file and at best is going to be breached in a data breach. At worst will definitely be abused for much, much worse things. This program aims to access quote, verifiable claims of a traveler's identity, unquote. And it allows the individuals to manage their own profile and decide what data to share when. I'd be really curious to see what this looks like in actual practice. Again, I'm very skeptical of it. It is currently an invite-only program, and you must be 18 or older to enter. The report that this article was citing said that other solutions that have been proposed would include verifying individuals' eligibility to travel based on advanced data analytics, background checks, and data sharing. Travel is growing, and I certainly do not enjoy standing in line at the airport, but man, this is a lot of data. And like I said, even if we if we assume there is no malice and ulterior motives, it's still going to get hit in a data breach because apparently everybody just uses password as their password. Canada, beware that is happening. I think the other country was Norway, by the way. I could be wrong about that. So check the article and be aware that that's happening. Really quick one. The UK's online safety bill is on pause pending a new prime minister. This is a bit of good news. The online safety bill alleges to protect children online, but critics argue it overreaches and would open the door for online censorship. We've all heard it before. It's happening all around the world, including the UK. All right, our next story is a pretty big chunk of a story. TikTok has paused their privacy policy switch in Europe after regulatory scrutiny. So TikTok has agreed to pause a controversial privacy policy update in Europe. It was controversial enough that the Italian Data Protection Agency actually formally warned against them instituting this. So it was set to take effect. The article said tomorrow. I forgot to look at the date, but presumably this week. And it would have meant that the platform stopped asking users for their consent to be tracked to receive targeted advertising. So this follows a formal warning from Italy's data protection watchdog, and it mainly seems to concern how TikTok defines legitimate interest. Because according to the GDPR, if you're collecting data for a legitimate interest, then you don't have to give users the ability to opt out of it. 
but you also have to prove that that is a legitimate interest that is critical to your business and doesn't like unnecessarily violate their privacy. Or at least that's how I understand it. I'm not a lawyer. A related story on this note, TikTok's chief of security officer is stepping down. So this isn't necessarily related to what's going on in Europe right now, but it could also be related to the US government. There's been a lot of calls to investigate that story we discussed about how China does actually have unlimited anytime they want to access to user data after they claimed that they didn't. TikTok claims that this resignation is not related to any of this data privacy stuff, but they also claim that Beijing doesn't have access to US user data. So, I mean, take that statement for what it's worth. Tax authorities have geolocated taxpayers through their cell phones. Why is it now legal for us to... Dot, dot, dot. That's, that's, that's the headline. So this is from Spain. The Spanish IRS is geotracking taxpayers to fight tax fraud. The excuse seems to be something about taxing big tech companies accurately. We're not really sure the context behind this, but the article points out that this seems to be blatant overreach. So um, maybe more information will come out about that, but... There you go. Spanish IRS is invading people, but this happens here in the US and many other countries as well. Our next story comes from Greece, where the Hellenic DPA, Data Protection Agency, has fined Clearview AI with 20 million euros. According to the article, this is the highest GDPR fine that has ever been handed out by the Hellenic DPA. And it comes with the usual, they can no longer collect data from people in Greece, and all of the data they have collected needs to be deleted. So, good news. I actually had the privilege of speaking to a GDPR expert who is not a lawyer the other day. And I just want to throw it out there. A lot of the time we read these articles and we're like, oh, $20 million, like, you know, these people probably wipe their butts with that kind of money. And according to this guy, like, no, some of these, I mean, there's definitely some of these fines that are just like, yeah, whatever, that was totally for show. But some of these big fines, like this $20 million, that's actually a lot of money. And apparently it does actually hit these companies where they hurt. So. Clearly not enough to put them under, or hopefully, because this is like the fourth or fifth one Clearview's been hit with, so maybe it'll start adding up and put them under, but it may not be enough to run them out of business, but for the record, this stuff does apparently actually hit these companies where they hurt. And then we're gonna move to Myanmar, where the uh, junta, which I believe is the government in that area, is rolling out Chinese camera surveillance systems in more cities. They have already placed these surveillance systems in at least five cities, and now are expanding to more. The cameras have facial recognition technology and are meant to be used to, quote, maintain security and in some cases preserve civil peace, unquote. Some Beijing travelers were asked to wear COVID monitoring bracelets, which have sparked outcry. China appears to be requiring people who have come from areas where COVID cases have been confirmed to wear monitoring bracelets during their quarantine period. The bracelets monitor temperature and upload the data to a phone app they were required to download. Many have refused the the bracelets due to tracking and privacy concerns. So yeah, that's kind of concerning. I can't imagine wearing a bracelet tracking everything about me. That's pretty wild, but... And our final political story for the week. Limitations on Google output, a test for more internet restrictions in Iran. Today on social networks, users have announced that their searches with Iran's IP have been redirected to a censored space, which was pretty much safe search mode uh, on Google. Experts say that DNS hijacking is not unprecedented in Iran, but it seems that this restriction has been applied to some ISPs, including Iran Cell and AsiaTech. 
and its subsidiaries. In the Google domain itself, and users who go to Google's site for researching restricted domains arrive. The changes made on Google's DNS have caused Google's reCAPTCHA service to fail in many websites and services that are hosted inside the country. The results of Zomit reporters' investigations is that these changes seem to be one of the government's tests to measure the re reaction of users to closing the Google site and replacing the search engine approved by the government. And it shows the seriousness of the new team for internet restrictions. So very sneaky way of pretty much testing things on citizens to see what they can get away with. With that, we will move into our free and open source software news, FOSS news, and we have some exciting news from the Tor browser. Version 11.5 has been released, and honestly, I feel like they should make it like version 12, because they've rolled out some really big changes. The biggest change is that automatic censorship detection and circumvention is now a thing. So in the past, if you were in a country that had a lot of censorship and you were trying to use Tor to get around it, you had to manually go to the Tor network settings and figure out how to apply a bridge to unblock Tor. The article themselves say that this process was very confusing and it was also very inconsistent because bridges and other censorship evasion techniques that work in one place may not necessarily work in another, but this has now been fixed and now it like automatically detects and attempts to automatically do this thing. For those who still wish to do it manually, if you're maybe a little more experienced or you, you know, maybe want to use a bridge that you know and trust or something like that, network settings are still there, but they have been visually overhauled. So should be a little bit easier to, to navigate and a little more pleasing to the eye. Another exciting one that I'm excited about, HTTPS only mode is now on by default, which is amazing. And the blog post finishes off by acknowledging that Tor Android is kind of lagging a little bit in terms of development. It's not quite up to par with the desktop Tor browser but they announced some changes they've made to like their resources and their team, you know, where they're assigning people. And they are committed to trying to bring Tor Android up to speed with the rest of the Tor development. So really good news all around, super exciting. Our next story comes from Molvad. The title says, aiding to break habits, gambling and adult content DNS blocking. And I mean, that pretty much says it all. Molvad is rolling out. This is entirely optional, of course but they are rolling out some additional DNS blocking to block gambling sites and adult content. So this is great if you're like a parent of young children and you just wanna make sure they stay safe on the internet or like they said, like people who are maybe addicted to gambling or addicted to pornography and just don't wanna be tempted with that kind of stuff. This is a really great way for you to block some of that. Matrix, the Matrix Network, which is the open source federated protocol has hit 60 million users, improving the demand for decentralized communication. They hit 64 million to be exact, based on phone home reporting to matrix.org that Synapse optionally does. It's cool to see them start to get more users, and so that's nothing but good. Finally, we'll go into our misfits. We just have one really quick story. This comes from the markup and it says, Planned Parenthood data found on another location data dashboard. So this is a company called Inrix, I-N-R-I-X. They are yet another third-party location data company. For those of you who are just joining us, a lot of the time developers will use uh, third-party software to enable a certain functionality or just, you know, so they don't have to go out and reprogram this entire thing themselves. And this is one of those kind of companies. The markup found 71 Planned Parenthood clinics in dozens of states using the location dashboard. So basically they signed up for an account and went, what can we find? And they found 71 clinics across dozens of states. I'm gonna quote the article here. The free version of Enrix's location analytics dash dashboard listed only the address hours and average annual daily traffic counts on nearby streets for each clinic. But the paid version shows more detailed statistics for sample points of interest in its database, including demographic and ethnic breakdown of visitors, visitor counts by hour and day, 
aggregated heat maps of the origins and destinations for visitors, and drive times to and from the business locations. Unquote. Super yikes. Very unfortunate. At the time of publication, Inrix has not pulled this data. A lot of location data companies have pulled the location data in light of Roe v. Wade being repealed. They are not one of them. So that's very unfortunate. And just a reminder that data can be very sensitive. It can be de-anonymized and got to beware and know what your apps are up to. You know what? I do want to say this is a personal section here. You know, I, I really do not agree with the recent decisions of the, on the Roe v. Wade stuff. But the one thing I'm really proud that's happening about it is like it's really waking up the average person on the importance of privacy. So I think that's a really good side effect of everything that's going on. And that's what I tell people. I'm like, I think privacy will be a big deal to people once things get worse. You know, what's funny is I used to talk to people and I used to use abortion as an example. You know, people would be like the whole, I got nothing to hide. And I'm like, that's fair. The laws change. And you know, once upon a time, abortion was illegal and now it's not like it maybe someday might be illegal again. And this applies both ways too, even if you're on the right side of things. Do you really want, yeah, like let's say um, things get more and more progressive in the United States and the things you believe in aren't as well accepted. Do you want that to become public? It's a bipartisan issue for people to want privacy is what I'm trying to say here. Just to add on to that, political violence is on the rise in the US and like, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it affects everyone. So this has been a big wake up, wake up call. And I think try to use it as a talking point for people in your life as well which is what I've been doing. So those of you who listen to this, you're probably already pretty privacy focused, but like outline to the people around you, hey, what are you guys doing with like your period tracking apps? What's going on with this? Have you like, has it clicked yet that like privacy is kind of important yet? So just kind of remind them about these things and like use hypotheticals too. Like what if this changes in four years? How are you going to feel about that? I know we're not digging into that, but for the record, a lot of experts are pointing out it's not just the period trackers. It's, you know, the, the web searches you do, the communications you have. All right, Q&A, all of you delivered. So awesome stuff. We got zero last week and we were like, we need more. And we got so many. We actually had to cut out a couple. So we're sorry. You can always try reposting next week. If that happens to you, we're still not guaranteed to get it the second time, but no harm in trying. Also, I just want to outline again that if you like what we do and you've been listening for a long time, we're going to keep doing this and you can join the Patreon now 10% off if you do an annual plan. So that's really awesome. So you can do these Q and A's every week if you want for a whole year. So the first question, a couple of weeks ago, I stumbled upon a podcast called The Privacy, Security, and OSINT Show on SoundCloud. Have you heard about it? And what other podcasts around the topic do you recommend? So yeah, um, Michael Basil's podcast, we both really like it a lot. I don't listen to it much, but I know Nathan does, and so he can talk about it if he wants to. I don't actually listen to much privacy and security content myself, just because like I do my own research, and so I'll occasionally like, tune into the biggest stuff, and I have RSS feeds set up for things like that. But I generally don't listen to other people's stuff just because I don't have the time to do it. I do listen to a lot of stuff just because I like hearing the other perspectives and what other people have to say. And sometimes they make really good points or like they miss story or they catch stories that I've missed. Yeah, Privacy, Security, and OSINT a really good one. Definitely recommend that. Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons from Kerry Parker. Mm -hmm, that's a good that's, one. That's a, yeah, that one's really good. He alternates between like interviews and news. So that one's really good. He also interviews like really big names too. Like he's got Andy Yen from Proton on there and like Bruce Janier. Like he's got some cool things. I was going to say Security in 5 is actually one of my favorites. And that one's really for everybody. It's every day he does like five to 10 minutes, talks about like, you know, major story or like here's a really cool tip or really cool website. I know a few, few episodes ago, we talked about how when you are signing up for healthcare in the US, you're allowed to click decline and it'll usually still go through. Like I learned that from him. So 
I think that's about all I listen to regularly in terms of podcasts, like privacy specifically. Okay, from Deduce Mushroom. It says, it'd be great to hear your thoughts about Bandcamp slash 7Digital and other ways to, of actually owning music that are outside of the corporate spying lease structures of Spotify, Deezer, etc. As a musician, this is very close to my heart. I haven't heard of 7Digital actually, but I, I am very familiar with Bandcamp. You buy it, they let you choose what format to download the music in. You download it, it's offline, you own it. The actual best way to support musicians and, and also maintain your privacy is a physical CD. If you go to a show and physically buy a CD in terms of like, the cut they get, that's by far the biggest cut. I know it's kind of getting hard these days to find, like, I don't think the last, like, three computers I've owned have had a CD player. I mean, that's a good way to always have a backup. Just in general, like, yeah, I agree. Like, Bandcamp's a really good one. Pretty much any service that'll let you actually download it. Because, yeah, then you're not, you're not using Spotify. You're not building that algorithm. Someone actually did ask the question that I jokingly kind of asked last week, which is, who's going to ask me what my favorite color is? And so someone asked what my favorite color is. It cycles. I go through phases with most things in my life. For the longest time growing up, it was red. And I kind of grew out of the red phase. And it's been blue for a long time. Like, I got this blue water bottle here if you're watching the video. A lot of things I get just happen to be blue. But I will tell you, dude, my ex loved green. And it kind of got me into green a little bit. So I've been liking green lately, but I still think I go back to blue a lot. So blue's the way to go. I like poppy things. I like just a little bit of color splashed around different areas, but I like most colors as long as they're poppy, honestly. So this next question's a little bit longer. I'm gonna condense it here, but basically the question is, uh, Christopher cares very much about his privacy in his personal life, but his field of work is digital marketing. So he kind of sees how the sausage is made and knows that it's not great, but also like doesn't really want to be part of that industry. And the question is, what are others, some other good paying job opportunities that might exist for someone with a primarily digital marketing skill set? If you're in a position where you can like go back to school and start in a new career, in that case, that's like, you know, sky's the limit, whatever you're interested in. But I will say uh, what might exist for someone with a primary, primarily digital marketing skill set, like man, literally everyone needs marketing. I mean, you could try to look into working for some privacy respecting company, companies that you you respect or like. I mean, you know, they, they need marketing too, but also that narrows your field. I guess that's the best I got is like, everybody needs marketing. And I would just say, try to find a place that shares your views on data and tries not to collect too much of it. I don't know if that exists in the digital marketing space, but that's the best I got is like, yeah, everybody's always gonna need marketing. Just try to find one that aligns with your ethics if those exist. And that's all we got for this week. There was a lot going on this week. We had that attack on browsers that can de-anonymize users and we will definitely keep an eye on that and hopefully have some fixes soon. Amazon giving out ring footage like candy. Probably not much of a shocker to our veteran listeners. Tons of political stories from all around the world. Sorry if we didn't get to yours. There's a lot going on. We do our best. Some really exciting tour updates, some good questions, all kinds of fun stuff. So again, we want to remind you guys, there's a couple of ways to support us. One is Monero. It's a privacy coin. We don't see who you are. We don't see any sort of transaction information that would lead back to you. And uh, as far as we know, cannot be chain analyzed. I know some companies have made that claim, but experts are like, yeah, we don't see any proof of that. So Monero is a really good one. And then of course there's Patreon. You get a list of show notes like I'm reading off of right now. You don't have to listen to this pitch every week. Again, we have 10% off for annual plans that, that just got released. So very exciting. If you want to help support us and also save a little bit of money yourself, I get it. Times are tough. Gas prices are insane. Definitely feel free to, uh, you know, take advantage of that. 
also i just want to throw in like we've been getting so much support on patreon too so like thank you all like this has grown a lot faster than we expected on the patreon and monero side of things so like it's really cool to see like us actually being able to make this pretty darn consistent so like thank you to all our patrons and thank you to, to everyone who's supporting us because it's really cool yeah you're right thank you guys so much it's the support has been incredible we really appreciate it Again, thank you guys for listening to Surveillance Report. And the final thing we want to ask of you, as always, share the podcast around. Make sure you're subscribed. Give us a rating if you're listening on a platform where they allow that. We want privacy to reach as many people as possible, and you can help us do that. Again, my recommendation, if there's a story you think someone around you would appreciate, go ahead and send it to them. Be like, hey, this timestamp, check it out. Maybe they'll like it. So thank you guys again for listening, and we will see you next week.